Good morning, everybody. How you doing? So, a real privilege to be with you, and uh, delighted to. Anyone want to get married this morning? We got some set up here, and uh, we might as well just marry some people. This setting, isn't it great? Uh, if you want to get married, come out the front. Let's marry you and get it. No, I'm just joking. Well, it's great, great opportunity just to be with you guys. And uh, flexibility is the name of the game, is it not? We always talk about being flexible and wanting to uh, follow where Jesus calls us to go. And then at times, in inconvenience, we kind of get a little mad. Or perhaps at times say, look, Lord, this wasn't part of the plan. But clearly, He has a plan and He knows what He's doing. And so for us, we were just privileged to be here. We appreciate you guys hosting us this Equip. And if you didn't know you had hosted Equip, you did. It was a great Equip. We really enjoyed being here. And thank you for your uh, partnership with us as a church, and just for opening your hearts and being incredibly generous and hosting us in this region. What a beautiful place. I have been here many times. I haven't seen this much sun here ever in all these days that I were here, and it's just such a wonderful, wonderful place. So thank you, Mike, and to the team and the guys here and the elders, and uh, it's just great to be here. I obviously was under the impression, like many of us, that we'd be in that building, and so I kind of brought a word for that and then had to change it, finding out we're not going to be in there. But I do want to say that God is obviously making some statements and some points here. That while we rejoice in what He's done over there and what you're going to be moving into, it's not for what He wants to do over there and what He wants to do in that building. It's actually what He wants to continue to do with His people regardless of where you meet. And uh, I know that we know that and we always amen that. But these moments remind us actually God doesn't dwell in buildings made of stone. But actually He lives in His people. And we are His people, and so this wonderful emphasis of a church without walls and all that, that is what we're about. So I'm going to quickly ask you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 16, if you have one. And I'm going to just talk a little bit about courage this morning. And I do believe the season that God has for you as a local church, has for us as a people, if you were, is it sound okay? Are you good? Am I in there? Can you hear me at the back there? You good? Um, Please tell me you can hear me or not. If you can't, I don't want to talk for nothing. I can hear. You good? Okay. So, so if you were here for the week, how many of you were at Equip? made any of it? Did you get challenged and encouraged and stirred and for this incredible season that God has us in? Not that He wants to just take us into something, but something that we're already in and we needed to continue walking in it. And uh, what, what's that? How's that? Better for me? You good? Now I'm in the shade. See, I wanted to be in the sun with you, but uh, this just means I'm going to preach longer. So no, no, Jackie, relax. But there's just something about what God's called the church to. And I want to kind of remind us that courage is not something we put in ourselves and try and muster up for ourselves. It's actually something that God wants to develop in us. And even some of the words that have come this morning already it's just this reminder that we have been called to be a courageous people. We actually can't do what God's called us to do without being courageous. And I, I just believe that it's not something to put on, but it's something to develop, a culture. God wants to develop cultures. And here's what I say to many of us, is that if we're not developing culture, culture is still being developed. If we're not allowing God, if the Word of God and the kingdom is not being developed, that culture is not being developed as a local church, then the culture is developing us. Something is developing our culture. 
And we're not anti-culture and we haven't declared war on culture. It's very hard to reach people you've declared war on. And so we're not here to fight culture. We're here to develop a kingdom culture, to be a people of courage and to walk in the big things that God has for us. And so I, I want to just share some things around the, about the church, but I, I want to say this before I get to just talking about the church, that the church is not the center of God's plan. And when I say that, many people say, well, well, it is, but actually it's not. The church is not the center of God's plan. Jesus is the center of God's plan. It all revolves around Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God exalted Jesus to the highest place. And God gave Jesus the name that's above every other name. And the point I'm making this morning is that as we begin to talk a little more about the church and a courageous people, it's not about us. It all revolves around Him. He is our mission. Mission is not just about going somewhere. Mission is more about following someone. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Our message is Jesus. The whole Bible is centered around Jesus Christ. Our, our mandate is Jesus Christ. The motivator for us here this morning is not some good songs and some good uh, message. It's centered around Christ. He's the only one who can help us to live for beyond ourselves and to impact this region and go to the nations of the world because of our revelation of who Jesus is. So in saying all this, we really need to continue to understand He is the center of it all. It all revolves around Him. So while Jesus, uh, the church is not the center of God's plan, the church is central to God's plan. We're not center of it, but we're central to it. And it's not a play on words. It's a reality how important Jesus is most of all, but then God has linked us as the church to the plan and the purpose of God. And so we, as we read here, just very quickly, let's read Matthew chapter 16, just a few verses. I know you know this, but I want to just highlight what Jesus said about His church. It says in Matthew 16 verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Now, Jesus asked the question of what are people out there saying about me? Now, what do they say about you, my followers? What do they say about me as Jesus? And they replied, well, some say you're a good dude doing some good stuff. Maybe you're a prophet. Maybe you're a great teacher. Whatever you are, that's what they say. And then Jesus changes the conversation from what is the world out there saying to you, my followers, well, what about you, the church? What do you say? Who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Let me remind you, this is not some theology or faceless ideology. This is the revealed Messiah who we worship. And he said, You are the Son. You're the, you're the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Verse 17, and Jesus replied, and you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Who do people say I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, because of your revelation of me, you're blessed. 
I love that, friends. We so often in our first world context are all about the stuff we have, the cars we drive, the businesses we run, and those are all important. But that's not what causes us to be blessed. Jesus says, because you know who I am, you're blessed. Because of your revelation of me, Jesus says, you're blessed. And then he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right. So, so what is he saying here? You know, it's our delight and desire. All of us as believers and even those who are not believers who are searching for this question. What's it all about? Who am I in this world? Who am I? Perhaps even the people in this church this morning are saying, well, who am I in this church? And it's an amazing thing that Jesus never told Peter who he was till Peter knew who Jesus was. Think about that for a moment. We will never truly know who we are until we actually understand who Jesus is. And Jesus, uh, Peter said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, and now you are Peter. Now that you know who I am, let me tell you who you are. Perhaps this morning, I mean, this young man who stood up here and said he's going to commit suicide. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that feels like. But it's not a feeling alone. It's a revelation of Christ. Until we get who He is, we're never going to know who we are. Until we understand who He is, we'll never know who we are. And that's why we pursue Jesus, because our revelation of Him determines who we are. And our revelation of Him determines what we get to do here on this planet. Now that you know who I am, let me tell you who you are. Peter, mini rock, little rock. And on this rock, that rock is not on you, Peter. That rock is on your revelation of me. I'm building my church. And then he begins to describe a church, friends, with all due respect, a courageous church. Not a church hanging in there. Not a church hoping for. Not a church waiting for the return of Christ, but a people who are front-footed, who are storming the gates of hell, pounding and being entrusted with the keys, not to the kingdom, but the keys of the kingdom. You see, when I read that, I realize that Jesus never intended for His church to hold on and wait. Jesus never intended for His church to become a survival people. But Jesus has always intended for His church to be front-footed, taking ground and moving forward and advancing the kingdom of God here on this planet. That's the church Jesus is building. That's why we need courage. It's not something we can muster up or come up with with clever strategies. It's this revelation of Christ and then buying into what He's doing as His people here on this planet and being advancing and taking ground. And so quickly, turn with me to one more verse, if I, a scripture please. And I, I want to talk around this for a few moments. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Are you okay? I mean, how cool is this? We get to come to church and get a tan at the same time. I mean, that's just... That's unheard of in Canada. Come on, let's, uh, let's enjoy it for a moment. But I won't be long. I'm trying to move quick, all right? Ephesians chapter 1. We need to develop a culture of courage. Oceanside, you have been a courageous people. I, I've been privileged to be a part of this church plant from almost the outset of this church plant. And we've had some, we're just catching up with Mike and having my son here and Mike reminding us some of the old stories of some of the stuff, silly things we've done here and and good things. But it's been a courageous people who stuck true to the plan of God 
It hasn't just been concepts and ideas and trusting and hope. It's been people saying yes to the call of God and living in it regardless of what the world throws at us. And so as I think of the season upon you, new building, a new facility talks about a multiplication and impact and regions to be taken. It's going to require more courage, friends. It's not put it on. It's develop a culture in this church of courage. Develop a culture. And somehow Paul understood this. And to the Ephesian church, he writes to them and he highlights some things to them that I believe if we can contend, obviously there's more than this, but if we can contend as a people for these four things in our culture, in this church, we will stay courageous and we'll actually move in more of what God promised in the season that is with us, waiting for us to walk in. Developing a culture of courage. Let's read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking. I love this. It's not a one-off prayer. How many of you have had one-off prayers before? We pray for you and we forget about you and we move on. This is not one of those. This isn't I ask the Lord for something. He says, I keep asking. It's a prayer to keep praying. I love to hear what people pray. And I'll tell you why. Because when you pray something, it's what's really in your heart. See, I can stand up and say all these things and people speak really well. But actually, when you're speaking to God, you're really speaking what's in your heart. How long, oh God? Where are you, God? Why this, oh God? And that's the desire of our hearts actually spills out when we speak to God. And so Paul's writing and he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I just want to pause it. I know I've probably said this before, but it's important to say it again. Be careful when you ask for revelation. Who wants revelation here? Put your hand up if you want revelation. And I have to confess, I got it really early this morning, and my prayer was, God, even in this tree, bush, and this field, give us revelation. I confess I prayed that for you and I. But it's a dangerous thing to ask for revelation. Because not revelation is not some concepts and thoughts Revelation, I believe in its simplicity, is God's invitation for you and I to make adjustments in our lives. You're there. Who wants revelation? What does that mean? Something in me has to change. For God's truth to become my truth, to move from my head to my heart, to move from thoughts to desires and dreams and action, things have to change. So Paul says, I keep asking. That the Lord will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What to do? To walk around with wisdom and revelation. No, that you may know Him better. So to state the obvious, what are the keys to cultivating a courageous context and people? A culture of courage. You ready? The person of Christ, the revelation of Jesus. Paul says, I keep asking. That you'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? To know Jesus better. Because when we know who He is, we know who we are. And when we know who we are, we actually get to do what He's called us to do. And so I pray and I trust and I ask that you and I in this place this morning would contend for revelation of who Jesus is. Because that revelation matters most. The Bible says, in, I think it's in uh, uh, Isaiah, let me make sure I get it right, Jeremiah Chapter 9, verse 23. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Or or, or let not the rich man boast in his riches. Or let not the strong man boast in his strength. 
But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and that he knows me. The boasting comes from not the stuff we have, but the fact that we get to know him. That's what we've got to be boasting about. How many of you know Jesus? Who knows Jesus here this morning? You're incredibly privileged. And those of you who don't know him, you have the opportunity this morning to know him and actually to be introduced to Jesus. But it's one thing to know about Him, maybe even to have had an encounter with Him. It's another thing to continually know and grow in your revelation and relationship with Jesus. And Paul, the apostle who wrote this, who penned most of the New Testament, he had a desire. And you know what his desire was? Not to do more stuff for the Lord. His desire was to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. And I want to say, well, gee, Paul, you do know Him. But he didn't want to stay where he got in. He wanted to continue to build into this and press in and learn more and understand more and walk in this. I want to know you, Christ. I want intimacy with you, Jesus. I want to experience you, Jesus. I want it to be a personal thing, not something I borrow from someone else. Are you privileged to be married? Who's married here this morning? We were going to do some weddings, but no one put their hand up. But if you're married, put your hand up if you're married. I want to tell you, marriage is not easy, but it's an incredible gift from the Father. My wonderful wife and I, Nicole, have been married 20 years, and we've had, I've had a, it's been an incredible journey for me, and I think for her it's been incredibly difficult. So, but let me just tell you this, friends. My marriage is not based just on an event called a wedding. My marriage is not an event. My marriage is a journey of everyday life of what I said yes to at the altar, at the event. And it would be unfair and we would not have a good marriage if every time we talked about our marriage, we would pull out the the, uh, uh, wedding photos and begin to tell my wonderful wife, gee, babe, 20 years ago, you had no children, we had no kids. Look how thin you looked. Look how young you looked. Look how beautiful you used to be. Are you there? How many of you wives would beat your husbands up? Why? Why? Because that's not marriage. My wife doesn't want to know what I thought 20 years ago, friends. My wife wants to know where am I at today? How's my walk with my wife today? How much more do I love her today? How much more am I discovering of her today? That's what marriage is about. That's just marriage. Can I suggest it's something even at times more important? My walk with Jesus. See, Jesus don't want to know where you got in. And maybe this morning, some of you are going to get it. And it's your first time to encounter, this is the event. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, it's the beginning of a journey of walking with Jesus. And some of us seated here this morning had had an encounter. And if I was to come ask you, how many of you saved? You put your hand up and you'll take me back to that day in 1972 on my knees before the Father. I wept, I mourned, and I got saved. I'll say, thank God. Well, where are you at 46 years later, sir? No, no, but that's where I got in. That's great, sir. Where are you today, sir? No, no, that's great you're in, but are you walking with Jesus? Because that's what Jesus wants of us. It's not an experience and a one-off. It's this constant walking or relationship with Jesus. And that, my friends, I believe develops a culture of courage when we know Christ, when we walk with Him, not know about Him, heard about Him, but we have this intimacy. And it's God's requirement of all of us as individuals seated here this morning to contend for your relationship with Jesus because that's where your courage comes in what you're called to do.
See, religion, the core dysfunction of religion is fixing our eyes on ourselves rather than on Jesus. Are you there? It's very likely for the church to become religious. You know how? Take your eyes off Jesus and make it about anything. Make it about meetings or make it about this or that. If we lose this, we've lost it all. That's why we've got to contend for our relationship. And I want to suggest this morning, help me, Lord, and help us, Lord, and help Oceanside Church to never, ever lose her way when it comes to her walking with Jesus. Because that's the courage, that's the pursuit. We pursue someone, not something. Christianity is not a teaching. Christianity is following Jesus Christ. Walking with Him, knowing Him, experiencing Him, having intimacy with Him. And Paul says, I keep asking for the Ephesus church. And somehow, unfortunately, Ephesians church lost her way. Isn't that amazing? A church Paul planted with an obsession with Christ. He laid the foundation. It says the whole of Ephesus, the the name of the Lord was held in high honor. 30 to 50 years later, what's happened? Jesus is addressing the seven churches. And guess what he says about the Ephesians church? You forgot about me. You've lost your love for me. You do all this stuff for me but you forgot about me. If that can happen in that church, may I be bold enough to say that can happen in Oceanside very easily. And it's nobody's fault except ours if we're not contending for our own revelation and people coming not into our church, coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ Almighty who longs to build a relationship with every individual in this room. I mean, in this place, not a room. Let's read on quickly. You okay, friends? You with me? Quiet? It's okay. Secondly, he says in verse 18, he says, I pray. So he said, I continue to contend for us to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Christ better, the person of Christ. Secondly, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, I didn't know that my eyes, my heart has eyes. But the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. So what do we need to develop? A culture of courage. How? By the revelation of Christ, the person of Christ. Secondly, the hope, the purpose, the calling to which we've been called. We love to tell the world the hope we have in Jesus. But the church needs to know the hope we have in Jesus. The church needs to know this is guaranteed to succeed because He's called us to success. But I want to tell you as an American, and we are in North America. I know you're not American. You're Canadian. I get that. And I know you celebrate your president, not ours. And so we won't get political here. But let me say, our region, North America, can I suggest from observation, we the church have gone into fear mode, survival mode, hold back mode, and don't upset the boat. Don't get people. And friends, we cannot be a courageous people if we're worrying too much about what people think. We have been called by God to be victorious. We've got to live where Christ is at, not where we're at. We've got to understand the songs. I mean, we've got Christian radio stations all over my country. And every time I listen to their songs, I get depressed. And I'll tell you why. Because their songs about us and we're going to make it today. We're going to get there. We're just going to make it. And I'm saying, I feel that, but I can't see that in the Bible. 
We're not going to make it. We're not just going to get through this week, friends. And I know that some of us are facing pretty radical stuff, but God has called His church to walk in big things in the victory of Jesus Christ. And it's abnormal for followers of Jesus to live in defeat. But we've made it abnormal for certain Christians to be able to actually live in the victory that Jesus has for us. And I want to say for this season, we've got to contend for the stuff He has done. We've got to talk about what He has done, not what He's not doing. What has He done? What has He given us? What? Paul, this Paul understood. These guys, the, the Ephesus church, needed a revelation of the call, the hope to which they have been called. Oceanside, regardless of who leads this church, it's not because of Mike and Debs or the elders. It's because of the plans and purpose of God. There is a hope and a purpose and a destiny laid out for every individual seated here this morning to be part of something God's doing and to walk in the bigness of what God intended. And it's not linked to a man, it's linked to Jesus Christ. Victory is our cry. Victory is His desire for us. And I think modern day discipleship is more focused on surviving our culture than it is about transforming our culture. And I feel it at times, and I've got sons and teenagers, and I lead, and, and I get it. I get it. It's so much easier to just buy into, behave, boy, stay away from the culture, don't mix with this culture, that we actually begin to raise our children and the church in this fear of the culture and fear of our world. And I understand some bad stuff there, but then I read the Bible and I see Jesus gave us His Spirit not to survive, but to transform culture. So we can't be away from culture and think we can take culture. Your season requires you to mix but to bring something of heaven to earth by living in the victory that Jesus fulfilled on the cross and where He's seated today, even in difficult moments. There's a challenging verse, Romans 15, 13. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that represent you? overflowing with hope. I'm challenged by many verses, but that one especially. I, I want, am I ever, it's not something I put on, it's by the Holy Spirit. But are you overflowing with hope? Because I want to come to a church that's overflowing with hope. That's the church I want to be in and be part of because that's the church going to bring life to Nanaimo, to Canada and to the nations of the world. It's not something you put on. It's just we're going to have to shift our mindsets to get him back to understanding. He's called us. And Paul prayed for that Ephesus church, actually, that they would understand the hope to which they've been called. Thirdly, very quickly, I'm sorry I'm taking long. I'm, I'm landing. I'm crashing, landing. I know you're hot. I'm hot too. Verse 19, he says this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength that He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and He seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What is He saying? I pray that you'd have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the person of Christ. That's culture one. Secondly, to know the hope, the call, the destiny, the purpose you've been given. Culture two. 
Third culture, that you'd understand the power we've been given. It's the same power that raised Jesus from death to life. I mean, Easter, how many of you love Easter? Not because we have those silly little chocolates, because Jesus Christ is recognized once. But is it once a year recognition or is it everyday recognition? I'm amazed how the church celebrates the death and resurrection on Easter Sunday, Resurrected Sunday, and then we go back into uh, dead mode. Me too. I will wait till next year and we'll think about it again. No, no, this is every day. And Paul says, I want the church. The church needs this revelation to understand that same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power. I understand it's difficult to believe. I find it hard too to believe. But that power that He had raised Him from the dead is the power we have right here, right now. And if you're struggling to believe that, you're going to struggle to be courageous and you're going to continually struggling in death rather than in life. So I might pray, like Paul, is that we, the church, including this preacher, will understand the power we've been given. We cannot do this without the power of God, friends. It's not clever concepts. It's not going to be clever strategies and good preaching. It's the power demonstrated to prove to this region, this nation, Jesus is alive. Watch, there He is. Power to break sin, to break chains, to remove depression and oppression. And it's rampant in in this region. It is. It's everywhere, but it's here. We can pray it all we want. God, please remove. But we need to understand there is power that raises death to life. From dead to life, we have been given that power and we need as the church, not the preachers, not the apostles and prophets, the church, the followers of Jesus to walk in that power again and again and again and stop debating whether we appreciate or like it or agree. And if it's in the Bible, then we have it and we want to walk in His power in this season because we cannot be courageous without the power of God. You know, you know, one of the things that people are very good at saying is that the Holy Spirit is a blessing from God. So if He's a blessing, then we can choose whether we want that blessing. And I understand what we're saying, but the Bible actually says that the Holy Spirit is God. If He's a blessing, you choose. If He's God, there's no choice. That doesn't make sense. You see, uh, we fail at times to understand that an encounter with the Holy Spirit is actually an encounter with God Himself. It says, not this optional extra for us who understand this truth. He's for all people. He is God. And the Bible says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When we yield to the Holy Spirit as Lord, there's freedom. I feel like He wants to baptize and empower us again afresh. And I'm not going to pray, but contend for your revelation of God and your revelation of the Holy Spirit and walk in the power, not some optional extra. This church has no future without the power being given to us. You're going to add more flesh to an island that needs no more flesh. We don't need flesh. We need power. And He's given us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I want to walk in that. I hope you do too. I think the church is living below the poverty line in the things of the Spirit when we look at the Bible. And it's not an accusation. If you, there's a, we can fix it. you know how? But take what's been given and walk in it. It's all we have to do is adjust what we think. Some of us perhaps say, well, we need another Pentecost. And that sounds great. Because if God doesn't do it, we can't get it. No, no, let me just tell you, we don't need another Pentecost. I don't believe the Bible teaches we need another one because I believe Pentecost happened. 
accepted to the Holy Spirit. While they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit comes. The Bible says that. I hope you believe that. That if the Holy Spirit has come, He doesn't have to come again. I'm all for infillings, refillings, and all these other fillings because it's in the Bible. But what I know this is that God didn't remove the Holy Spirit and now He's waiting for a generation who will truly believe again. I mean, the arrogance of us to think that He took the Holy Spirit away because we didn't believe because it's all around us. But actually, He gave us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, early church was baptized and birthed in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, with all due respect, He has never left this planet. He's still here. He's right here. And He's not even in that new building you'll be. He's right here, right here, right now. We don't have to ask for Him to come again. We simply have to respond that He has come and yield to Him and begin to walk more and more of the power God has. The promise of the Father is you've been given power. Walk in the power. The worst thing we can do with power, are you ready, is pretend we don't have it. See, churches go into performance mode. It's called flesh. And our hearts are good, but we're actually just giving more birth to more flesh. We spend more time in preparation than we do in His presence. You know what we end up doing? We end up performing more than having power. We need power and we've been given power. And let's walk in that power that is given to us. And then the last point here says this, verse 22. It says, And God placed all things under His feet. God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. What does that mean? I believe we have to develop a culture of understanding our position. I want to tell you, friends, Paul was saying, the person of Christ is what matters, that revelation. I pray for you that you keep getting that revelation, he says. I pray you understand the purpose, the hope to which you've been called. I pray we understand the power we've been given, same power that raised Christ from the dead. And then he says, and I hope you understand the position. We are seated with Christ. And this is a big deal in light of the season you're in. Is that if we don't understand who we are, based on nothing we have done or can do, we will never reach out with compassion to all different people. And I think the church gets into performance mode because we feel like we have to prove stuff. But you can't reach people if you're trying to prove to people that you are someone. But if we could settle in the fact and contend for this, this revelation that I am who I am because of Him and I'm seated with Him and I've done nothing to deserve. I just simply have responded and I'm not performing or jumping through hoops or climbing ladders to get there. I'm there because He put me there and I can minister not for position, but I minister from a position that it's settled, it's sealed, it's done and I can love all sorts because I'm no better than anyone except I've got this position in Christ that I want others to get are you there, friend? I know I'm preaching the mostly converted here this morning, but we get into religious mode and you cannot reach people when you're religious. And religion slips in because we have to do and I've got to prove. And I, No, no, we need to settle. Settle this season, this time and contend. And when religion comes in, we need to sort it out. We need to sniff it out because religion's like somebody said, like spraying perfume on a coffin. It smells nice, but it's still dead. 
And eventually death comes through again and again. We don't need death. We need life. We need to understand who we are. And friends, you know, yeah, anyway. Are you with me? I'm telling you, the church is becoming too religious. This church is not called to be religious. You're called to throw religion off every day by understanding your position in Christ. You are who you are because He made you who you are, nothing else. And you can reach out to all sorts of people. Those who are on drugs, those who are stuck in there, those who are religious, those who are rich, poor, irrelevant. They are all equal and we minister to them because of our position from Him. Last story and I'm done. My sons and my ones here, and I've told this story, but it's the best I have. I'm sorry. I remember buying my youngest son, Jude, a shirt. I think you've heard me tell this story, but it's the best I have for this point I'm making. Jude, I bought him a shirt, and I mean, he loves clothes like all my sons. They get it from their mother, I think. But anyway, so we, we said, so I bought him the shirt, and I love the shirt. I mean, I have to say, if it was a shirt big enough for me, I would have bought it for me, right? That's how cool it was. So I bought it for him. I'm like, hey, Jude, I got you the shirt. He's like, hey, Dad, thanks for my shirt. But he took the shirt and he hung it up in his closet. Every day he came to me and said, Dad, I love my shirt. Thank you for my shirt. I'm like, that's cool, boy. For like seven or eight days, he kept coming to me and saying, gee, Dad, thanks for my shirt. And he'd walk on and get on with life. And I, I thought, gee, man, does he even like this shirt? Every day he's thanking me. But there came a day that Jude put his shirt on, walked out of his room and said, Dad, I love this shirt. And that's the first day I realized this boy really likes his shirt. What's that got to do with us this morning? A whole lot. So I guarantee that there are people here who are here this morning telling him how awesome he is and telling him, thank you for what you did on the cross. Maybe you even go from here and you're telling everyone else out there what he's done on the cross. And you're so awesome, Jesus. And you're so wonderful. And, and I'm so grateful. But you know, I, at times... What he would want of us is not just to thank him, but actually to take that shirt of salvation and all that he accomplished on the cross, to take it out of the closet and to actually put it on. Because then I believe it makes it worthwhile. I realized it was worthwhile buying Jude that shirt when he put it on, not when he thanked me for it. There's no greater way to give glory to Jesus and thank Him daily than put on the shirt of the finished work of the cross. For the joy set before Him endured. It wasn't just for us. It was to see us live in what He did. Let's bow our heads if you wouldn't mind, please. A season of courage. Cultivating this season that you're in. It's going to require contending, not doing stuff, contending for these revelations. There's one thing to say, let's go and fight for it out there without even understanding. Perhaps some of us here need to just adjust or actually repent or perhaps get saved. I don't know where you're at this morning. It'd be wrong for me to talk about Jesus and not give an opportunity to actually meet Him. I want to ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm not asking, do you know of Him? Have you heard about Jesus? I'm asking, do you know Him? Have you come into that relationship and are you content? Are you walking with Him intimately this morning? Not through someone else, through you and your relationship with Him.
You don't know Jesus this morning. I'd love to introduce you. That's why I'm here, to introduce you to this king who I talk about, who literally did it all for you to say yes to. It's not performance. There's nothing we can do except accept or reject what it is he's done for us. So if you don't know this Jesus, and you say, Tyron, would you introduce me to him? I'm going to ask you, would you put your hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not pulling you out to the front. I just want to say, is there anyone here who would like to be introduced to this Jesus? Then put your hand up, friends, because I would love you to meet this Jesus who I'm talking about this morning. Anyone here? Put your hand up, please. Anyone here? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? We're not pulling teeth and we're not begging you to. We're not auctioning Jesus. We're begging him to save us. There's a response. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, ma'am. Great. Anyone else? All right. Well, those who've raised their hands, and those, you're not saved by raising your hands. You're saved by believing in what he's done for you. And that's all we're going to do is just pray for that. So whoever has put their hand up or who perhaps should have that didn't, I didn't see all the hands, but I did see some. Would you just pray this in your heart after me? And don't say this because I'm saying it. Say because you believe it. Say, Father God, thank you this morning that you've revealed something of Jesus to me. I don't understand all of this. This I know. I'm a sinner. I'm in desperate need for a Savior. I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. I believe you have done what you said you've done. I ask for you to take your rightful place in my life. Would you be my Lord and my Savior? I turn from my life. I turn towards you, Jesus. Would you lead me? Would you save me? Would you deliver me? Would you rescue me? I want to walk in all. I want to put that shirt on this morning. I want to walk in everything you've finished. I thank you for saving me today based on what you've done, I believe. Thank you. I never have to do this again. Today I become a child of God. And Holy Spirit, would you fill me, empower me, to help me to walk in the thing that Jesus has done for me, I pray. Thank you for saving me. And now let me begin from an event to a journey of walking with you every single day. I want to know you, Christ, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every believer in this, room, uh, in this place, every person here. I pray for this church. You know, Lord, that I contend with these people for this church. And our prayer in this season is, Lord, we contend for this culture. We contend to be a courageous people. Revelation of Jesus. The hope to which we have been called. The power which you have given us. And the position seated right with you based on what you've done. And we want to minister from that position. We bless you. We thank you. We give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.